This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, August 18th, 2022. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include Cars are the new frontier for hackers, and as software starts to control more of your car, its hackability increases. We'll tell you what to look out for. Facebook tracks you even when they say they won't. That may not exactly be news, but this discovery of how they go about it is. Fooled by phishing, even experienced users can be tricked and will have the story and lesson of a should-have-known-better tech journalist who fell for a phishing scam. And we'll have some follow-up on our recent discussion of Windows virtualization on the Mac. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. It feels like we've been talking for hours about all the stuff we want to present in this episode of the podcast. It might be because we literally did just talk for two hours preparing for this podcast. So we want to start by talking about tracking. Now, the, the way we work for this podcast is during the week when I see articles that I think are interesting, I send them to you. You make notes of articles and we get together and decide what we're going to talk about. And so I mentioned this and you said, well, why do we care? Because you're being tracked everywhere no matter what. And, and that's sort of the takeaway, which I want to mention before we talk about this article about meta injecting code into websites to track its users, research says. Basically, if you're using like the Instagram app and you tap on a link, link in bio, it goes to what's called the Safari view controller, which is the version of Safari, the sort of in-app browser. And Meta is injecting JavaScript into these websites in order to track you, even if you've told the app not to track you. This is Meta, aka Facebook, right? Facebook, yes. I should have said Facebook. I, I mean, I, I just assume that they're doing everything that they possibly can to track me. R remember, though, there's a distinction between tracking you specifically as a human being and your personal identity along with data that's that's being tracked versus tracking you without tying it directly to your identity right and so there are kind of different interpretations of tracking and what that could mean and so maybe meta is thinking well we're, we're i mean we're not really tracking you in terms of like tying it to your identity right and so that's still okay well what the article says and this is an article in the guardian so this is a mainstream newspaper that there's a possible attack that allows the threat actor to manipulate the website or web app and collect sensitive data such as personally identifiable information or payment information. It's the payment information that's more worrisome. If they can get your credit card number, that's a bit disturbing. Are they actually able to get your credit card number? I don't, I don't know about that. He says that. It says payment information. Okay, well, let me read his quote. The researcher who brought this all up is named Felix Krauss, who, if that name sounds familiar, it's because he actually did some research into the camera usage on iPhones several years ago. And I think probably partly because of his research, iOS now has that little bubble that shows you when the camera or microphone are in use. So Felix Krauss knows what he's talking about. He says the Instagram app injects their tracking code into every website shown, including when clicking on ads, enabling them to monitor all user interactions like every button and link tapped, text selection, screenshots, as well as any form inputs 
that and and that's this is the thing that you were talking about like passwords addresses and credit card numbers that's really surprising to me if they're actually recording that information i would really hope that they're not actually recording like passwords and credit card numbers and things well maybe they're not recording it but the javascript can maybe capture the password before you're sending it so you type in or you paste in the password in a field and then you send it and then it's encrypted in the sending but maybe it can capture it before it gets encrypted is that possible it's possible i i really don't think that they're actually keeping any of that information or that they're specifically looking for that information. It may be possible that they could do that with their JavaScript they're injecting, but I really doubt they're actually doing it. By the way, for its part, a Meta spokesperson said, we intentionally developed this code to honor people's ask to track choices on our platforms. (laughs) That's interesting, isn't it? The code allows us to aggregate user data before using it for targeted advertising or measurement purposes. So... Oh, okay. So you, you think this is okay. (laughs) It's okay. We developed it so that we don't have to track you as closely. Oh, okay. Uh, One question is a meta spokesperson, a spokesperson for a spokesperson. Oh boy. Meta jokes. Okay. Moving on. We want to mention this one really quickly because this is something that's becoming more common. We'll link to an article in Apple Insider about a man jailed for stalking his ex-girlfriend with an AirTag. Now, when we first talked about AirTags in April last year, we pointed out all these possibilities. And Apple did make some changes after a lot of the criticism. But we're starting to see more and more these articles about stalkers using AirTags. We're not going to go into a lot of detail. We're not going to report all of them. But this is becoming a commonplace thing. Right. In fact, part of why we decided to bring it up on this episode was just to let you know that we're not going to bring this up every time this type of story comes up, just because this happens all the time now. We're seeing this not just on Apple news sites, but in major mainstream media and so forth. Okay. In which, this is a tweet from Daniel Feldman, in which a blogger finds the private key used to sign Hyundai car software updates by Googling it. And I must say this worries me a bit because I just got an electric car last week. Now, I can't do over-the-air updates on the electric car. In fact, there was an update to the the GPS maps, and I had to download it to a USB thumb drive and take it to the car. So I'm not too worried. But we mentioned a few weeks ago that the car is the new terrain for hackers, and they actually had the private key used to sign Hyundai car updates on the web. Easy to find. A private key is like, this is the key, right? Basically, what somebody could do with this private key is that they could make malicious car software updates for Hyundai cars, and they could basically infect your car. If they really, if they know what they're doing, if they're a software developer and a, kind of a hacker, they could figure out some way to inject malicious code that your car recognizes as being legitimately from the manufacturer. So that's what this means. So that's a really serious concern. It, is it very likely that somebody is actually going to do this? Mm, probably not, but, you know, again... Given enough resources, enough interest in attacking and targeting you, nation state actors, you know, that, that's a possibility that somebody might try to do something. Like I'm that. thinking more that someone would use it to get access to the car to track it. Could be. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I, I guess it all depends on what 
interconnected systems are a part of the Hyundai car software updates, right? So what does that software do? What is it capable of doing? And of course, this is something that if somebody wanted to go after you particularly, they would absolutely want to investigate all those possibilities. What are all the things that we can do with this car software? So it's a little scary. I don't think the average person needs to worry too much about this, but this is another thing. Like you're saying, this is part of a trend of cars are being hacked. Yeah, and they're, they're the next targets because they run on software because they all have a cellular connection now. As we talk, my partner is in Manchester about a two-hour drive away charging the car. We just got this Friday, so this charging stuff is new for us. And I can see on the car's app where she is and where how the charging is progressing, etc. So anyone who gets access to the car's software can know where the car is. I'm sure that there are probably cyberpunk novels that have already used this as a major <laughs> plot point. But but the thing that is... That one about the Jetsons go to Las Vegas, I think. That was the one. <laughs> but but this is something that it's worth being aware of. And the more that we have, you know, cars interconnected like this, the, the more we need to kind of be aware when these potential opportunities for hacking come along. Okay, so the Department of Homeland Security has issued a warning about critical flaws in the emergency alert system. Now, when I was young, they would come on with sort of a test pattern with a voiceover saying, this is a test of the emergency broadcast system. And if this was a real warning, we would tell you what to do or something like that kind of thing. Now it's a lot, it's a lot different because you may get emergency alerts about tornadoes or hurricanes or other things. And apparently there are a lot of vulnerabilities, which means that you can't really trust this. So when we were talking before the show, Josh wanted to say, well, just don't ever trust these alerts. And I was saying, Josh, if they say a tornado is 10 minutes away and you want to wait six hours until you can verify this warning, I think better to trust the alert. In my defense, that's not exactly what I said. Also, we should back up a little bit and say the new emergency alert system, these alerts come over your phone. You might have heard at some point some loud tone coming from everybody's phone in a room if you're with other people. It, that's an emergency alert that comes over the emergency alert system. Okay, we don't have that in the UK. They are talking about a text message system, though, in hmm. the future. Um, sometimes uh, they're not necessarily an emergency that directly impacts everybody in the area. Sometimes they're things like Amber Alerts, so alerts that uh, a child was kidnapped in, in your vicinity. And they'll give information about the details about the car, so you can be on the lookout and report it to police if you do see it. But these kind of alerts also can be used, as you mentioned, like tornadoes, if, if there's other natural disasters that are coming your way. Also, I think we mentioned on this show, because this happened, I think, in 2018, that Hawaii actually had a, a false alert about, what was it, a, an incoming missile or something like that? It was a like missile that. alert, yeah. But but the idea was, like, I mean, people legitimately, they got this alert and they immediately assumed, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. And they contacted, you know, uh, their loved ones. And then it turned out this was actually a, a false alarm. In this case, it wasn't that they had been hacked, but that uh, an employee of the system had accidentally sent 
an, uh, like a canned alert that was, you know, prepared in advance because th- obviously there's very limited time if a missile comes, right? And so they had alert an alert ready to go and someone accidentally fired this alert, sent it out, and people legitimately believed it. They thought they were going to die. Can you even imagine something like that happening? Gee, I wonder what happens if I press that button. <laughs> <laughs> they were they were testing the system, right? This was supposed to be a test. Um, well, they pressed the. There was they were probably supposed to press the button that sent in the word that said this is a test, right? But they were probably high and they pressed the wrong button. And Obviously, this is not a normal thing, but this is something that should be cause for concern, especially knowing that these systems are evidently a lot more hackable than people realized. We'll link it to a, a couple of articles in the show notes, one with some details about what the Department of Homeland Security says that you can do if you run one of these systems. And they're very basic things like making sure your software is up to date on on the systems. It's like, yeah, I should hope that they're updating the software. Give me a break. The other article that we'll link to has a little bit more detail on sort of the background and how this researcher found this. Interestingly, he, he claims to have purchased one of these emergency alert systems on eBay in 2019. And so he's been tinkering with it and finding out all the ways that it can be exploited. So I'm just thinking of the movie scenario here. Tom Cruise wants to get into like a casino, right? And he issues an emergency alert that there's a tsunami coming to Las Vegas. So everyone runs out of the casinos and he slips in while everyone's running out. Yep. Sure. No? <laughs> Maybe a bit far-fetched, the tsunami bit. We could t- say an earthquake. Yeah, earthquake. Yeah. Okay, when we come back, we're going to talk about some more ways to run Windows on a Mac, and we're going to discuss a security reporter who got fooled by a blatant phishing attempt. He should have known better. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2022. Indigo's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Indigo Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intigo.com. That's podcast.intigo.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intigo Mac Podcast listeners. Intigo, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. Okay, we're back. And not surprisingly, when we went to our break, Apple released macOS Monterey 12.5.1. They released iPad OS and iOS 15.6.1. Presumably, all the operating systems will be updated. Now, usually, they do this after we've stopped recording. So since we talked for two hours before we started, we managed to catch this on time. We can't say anything more right now other than that there's a lot of security fixes. So we'll have more information about this next week. Okay, we've talked a lot about running Windows on a Mac recently, in particular because running Windows on a 
M1 or M2 Mac is different from running on an Intel Mac. Microsoft makes Windows to run on Intel processors, and the M1 and M2 processors are ARM processors, technically, even though Apple makes them. It's the sort of ARM architecture. And so it requires a different build of Windows. And I'll link to a bunch of articles in the show notes that we've discussed this. Josh found something really interesting last week. The latest version of Parallel Desktop literally has a one-click installation of Windows. I'm looking right now, so I use Parallels Desktop for a number of reasons. I'm looking right now, and when you go to create a new virtual machine, there's a button to install Microsoft Windows, and it automatically downloads Microsoft Windows 11 from the Microsoft website. You don't have to sign up for anything. I'm assuming these are the same preview releases that I've had before to run Windows in virtualization, but all the articles I've written, all the discussion we've made about how difficult it is to do, you spend your 100 bucks a year on Parallels Desktop, one click, and you're running Windows. Right, right, exactly. So there, there is a big price difference uh, between UTM and Parallels Desktop. UTM is either free if you don't want the automatic updates and just want to download it from the website. And if you get it from the Mac App Store, you pay 10 bucks and you get the automatic updates. But UTM there, yeah, there's a few more steps um, that Kirk has detailed in an article about how you go about getting Windows 11 for free on an on an M1 or M2 based Mac. And so Parallels Desktop has taken this one step further. They've probably looked at this and realized, oh my gosh, like people can like do that for free. Like we need to like up the game, right? And so Parallels Desktop now has a has a one-click get Windows 11 on your Mac. So is it really worth $100 a year? Maybe not just for that. But again, Parallels, because it's a commercial product, it's been around a long time. You can get technical support from them. They're doing probably a lot more to optimize the experience to make it faster. It's probably a lot better for gaming than UTM. So it all depends on what exactly you want to use it for and how much you're willing to spend. But Parallels is a great option as well. Yeah, if you do need to use Windows regularly, let's say you're testing software or for some reason like that, it's a lot cheaper than buying a PC. And it'll run a lot faster on an M1 or an M2 Mac than on a cheap PC. So I think even if it's $100 a year, if you do need to have Windows for any reason. But I just love the way that it's just like one click to install Windows. You can even choose whether you want Windows Home, Windows Pro, or Windows Enterprise. They're not asking you for any information because to get this directly from Microsoft, you do have to create a Microsoft Insider account, which is free and easy. But they're kind of tracking you and you know knowing that you've downloaded it. And this is just, they've just kind of gotten around this. I wonder if Microsoft really approves of this. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, for their part, for Parallel's part, I, I hope that they kind of talked to Microsoft and said, hey, we're planning on like bypassing your whole sign up process. Well, I'm sure they did, yeah. Parallel's, again, it is an established company. By the way, it's probably worth mentioning, in case you've heard in the past of VMware Fusion, Parallel's desktop and VMware Fusion historically have been the products that you would use to run Windows on a Mac if you didn't want to reboot your Mac with Bootcamp in the classic, you know, in the Intel days. But VMware Fusion, just just to briefly mention, they're still not officially fully supporting M1 and M2 based Macs. So they, they've had a couple of technical preview releases that they've come out with this year. So you could run it on an M1 or M2 Mac, but it's not like fully supported at this point. So my recommendation is even if you've used VMware in the past, probably avoid using 
VMware Fusion going forward, I wouldn't spend money on it for sure because they're obviously not prioritizing development of that product. VMware does a whole bunch of other things with virtualization. They really are more targeting uh, enterprise at this point rather than consumers. Okay, so Ars Technica has an article by Dan Gooden. I'm a security reporter and got fooled by a blatant fish. This is a really interesting story. He actually didn't get fooled because he didn't go and actually click a link or send information and all that. But this is really interesting what happened to him. And it shows how easy it is for people, even if they are attentive to the risks involved with this sort of thing, how easy it is for them to be fooled. Right. Dan explains that uh, what happened to him was that Twitter just verified his account and then he thought, well, this is kind of weird because like I've chosen to never give over my personally identifying information, like, like my driver's license or whatever other things that Twitter asks for to sort of prove your identity. He's always been kind of steadfastly against that. He doesn't want to have to give his driver's license to Twitter because, you know, they could get hacked and all kinds of other things like that. And so he's like, why did they just verify my account? And then all of a sudden he gets a message from an account that is named Support Center. It has a Twitter logo and it says, welcome to Twitter verification. By the way, there's a complete lack of punctuation in here, but <laughs> so that should be a little bit of a red flag, but it's, it says recently some fake and fraudulent methods have appeared that some use to authenticate their accounts with the blue tick by paying money or through investment companies. And this is contrary to Twitter regulations. So this is all one sentence. So Twitter decided to review the accounts that were granted the blue tick. All you have to send one of the documents that proves ownership of the accounts, such as government card, passport, or driver's license. And so they're trying to get him. They're saying, yeah, we just verified your account, but now you need to prove your identity. So we say blue tick in the UK. You don't say that, do you? You say blue check mark, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that should have been a flag in addition to the bad punctuation and the bad grammar that went on sentences. Yeah. Well, and, and also th this is kind of a, a funny thing too, because blue check mark is kind of a misnomer because the background is blue and technically the check is white. But anyway, <laughs> I figured you'd come up with something like that, Josh. Okay. Okay. So what happened next? So he takes a screenshot of this and he posts this in response to himself. He's, you know, he just said, Hey, Twitter verified my account. That's weird. And now he posts the screenshot and he goes, you know what? I spoke too soon. Sorry, Twitter. Go ahead and remove the blue check mark. You're not getting my ID only so you can get hacked again or use it for marketing purposes. So he's like, fine, if you're going to give me the blue check and then immediately demand that I give you a copy of my identification card, then forget it. Just take away my blue check. And people, of course, responded to him and said, uh, Dan, that that's a that's a phishing message. Yeah. <laughs> and he immediately realized, you know, oh, oh, yeah, well, I, I wasn't going to respond to it anyway. But I mean, wow, like. Even after taking that screenshot and getting ready to post it, like he still didn't notice through through that process that this wasn't actually Twitter support. Okay, so here's what I think happened. Dan says in the article that the direct message came at the exact same time that the blue check mark appeared on his account. Now, if you are verified, you get followed by the Twitter account at verified. So I can imagine that there's a bot looking for every new follower by at verified, which is taking advantage of this and sending out this direct message automatically to that person. Of course, this only works for people whose direct messages are open, right? In my case, they're not. So I wouldn't have ever gotten that message. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I think this is exactly how this happened. So this is kind of, I guess you could look at it as a potential flaw in the way that Twitter handles verification because they immediately follow you from the at verified account as, I guess, sort of a way of like, maybe doubly proving that you're really verified. So you get that little so-called blue check mark, but then you get followed by verified as well. And so these two things together are so maybe supposed to prevent people from using similar icons and things at the end of their name that kind of look like a check mark. I've seen people do things like that before. They use special characters or emojis or whatever that sort of kind of look like the verification check mark. And so maybe that's why they do it, but because they do that and because it's easy for any bot to just identify that verified has just followed somebody. It also makes this super easy to automate these phishing attempts. And so of course, I'm sure by now that particular account got shut down by Twitter, especially with Dan Gooden calling it out on Ars Technica in an article, but that's not, there's nothing to prevent the same perpetrators from just creating a brand new account and doing the exact same thing over and over again. Okay. Well, here's an example of something that happened in the UK in 2019. There was a debate, political debate, between the previous Labour Party leader and the prime minister at the time, who was Boris Johnson. During the debate, the Conservative Party's press office, which is a verified account, at CCHQ Press, changed the username on the account to Fact Check UK and changed the header image on the graphic. So they were sending out tweets during this debate saying, Fact Checking Labour from CCHQ, as if they were an actual fact-checking organization as opposed to the press arm of a political party. They had that blue check and they were allowed to change their username. And in fact, Twitter was was quite critical of them. They should have actually banned the account, but Twitter was quite critical of them saying that this is deceptive. You're not allowed to change your username and pretend you're someone else. So those blue check marks, they do prove that you're verified, but they don't prove that you are who that username is. And Twitter does say all over their terms of use that if you do something like this, if you have a verified account and you do anything deceptive like this to sort of claim that you're somebody else after you get verified, then they can, of course, and they should take away your verification status, if not actually take you off the platform, because you're obviously trying to deceive people then at that point. The conclusion in Dan Gooden's article is really important. He says, the most important defense is remaining humble and not falling into the mindset that we would never get pulled in by a fisher. Fishers are more sophisticated than we may think. They come up with new tricks all the time. It's only a matter of time until one of them throws us off balance. And I think this is really important. We, we're aware of all these things, like if you right-click on a link in an email message, you see what the actual domain is, all, all kinds of things that allow us to it's kind of an algorithm. We're deciding, you know, does it pass this test? Does it pass that test? But there are going to be things that can trip us up that in this case, it was the timing that was really coincidental. So I think we need to make sure we don't denigrate people who get taken in by fishers, even if it's blatant fishing. But we always need to be vigilant because there are always going to be more ways of tricking people. This isn't computer security in the sense of a hacker of vulnerability. This is social engineering. Exactly right. That's a really good recommendation to to make sure that you don't think that you're above getting tricked by something like this. Even if, in, like in Dan's case, he didn't actually follow through with the thing that they were requesting, it is 
very possible for anybody, even if you're very tech savvy, even if you're very security minded, it's easy to psychologically, right? This, this is what phishing is all about. A good phishing attack, meaning a, an effective one, is going to use human psychology against you. All right. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.